morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten speaking to you from Ottawa, Canada. Uh, shortly, the Jewish community will be observing the day known as Yom HaShoah, the day of commemoration of the events of the Second World War, known in English as the Holocaust and in Hebrew known as the Shoah. But in addition to the day that is marked on the Jewish calendar, there is a day marked on the general civil calendar known as Holocaust uh, Remembrance Day. And with me this morning to discuss the uh, two days and why they're important for all of us to consider marking on our calendar is uh, Mr. Richard Marceau, Vice President of External Affairs and General Counsel for the Center for uh, Israel and Jewish Affairs. Uh, Richard is a former member of the Canadian Parliament, a lawyer, a published author, a human rights activist, and uh, as he says about himself, a uh, committed member of the Jewish community wishing others to know the Jewish story. So, Richard, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you, Rabbi, for having me. Um, so let's begin for our audience. Can you tell us a bit about uh, Yom HaShoah and uh, the origins of this uh, unique observance? And then we'll move on to the International Holocaust Remembrance Day and how they differ. Well, the um, Yom HaShoah actually started in Israel uh, following the Second World War, where um, the state, the Jewish state, was wondering how to commemorate one of the most important events in uh, the Jewish story, which is the attempt by by the Nazis and, and their allies to eradicate an entire people. Um, there was actually big debates at the time in Israel, as some people thought that there shouldn't be a special day, and some of the days that were already in existence uh, could actually fit the bill. Um, but it was decided to create a day, uh, and that day coincided with uh, the rise of the Jewish ghetto uh, in, in Warsaw. So it's actually in, in, in Israel, it's called Yom HaShoah Vora, so the, the, the day of the Holocaust and, and of of bravery, because it, it was marking the, the rising up of, of the Jewish community there against their, um, their, uh, their uh, persecutors. So just for our listeners, let me help clarify. Um, in April 19th of 1943, um, there was a major uprising in the Warsaw Ghetto, at that point, it was probably the largest ghetto remaining uh, under uh, Nazi control, and uh, it was the largest military uprising, and it lasted um, for eight days, um, and um, it certainly surprised uh, many in uh, Germany and Poland, and unfortunately, it ended as one might expect. Um, but it marked um, a very powerful uh, notion of Jewish resistance. 
That is, that is correct. And the Nazis expected an excursion, and it was not that. It was not that far from that. So uh, they probably the Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto probably put up more of a resistance than the entire France combined uh, in uh, in May and June 1940. Um, so that's the day that that Israel chose to mark the events of the attempts by the Nazis and their allies to to eradicate the Jewish people. Um, it was officially adopted then in Israel, and when I was in Parliament, um, I decided that we should have a, a day to mark the uh, the Shoah in, officially in Canada. As you know, Rabbi, Canada uh, was home to one of the largest surviving survivor community, uh, many people actually in Montreal. But what actually led me to do this is that... Uh, my brother-in-law's father was a Holocaust survivor. His name was Albert Rudolph. Um, I just passed. And it, I, I guess it drove home the point that there were less and less survivors then and that uh, soon there wouldn't be any. And it was the duty of the state or society writ large to uh, take the baton from the survivors to tell the stories, to tell um, what happened, uh, because there are lessons, there are important lessons to be learned from what happened in the Holocaust. There is a universal lesson that is where it can lead when a group, whatever group it is, is othered by, by the majority society. So every, um, every group, every minority can be uh, potentially the victim of discrimination, persecution, uh, if not murder. And the second, um, I guess, lesson, so we had the universal one, and it's a specific Jewish lesson, which is the Jews have uh, faced anti-Semitism and where it can lead. Uh, and in this time of rising anti-Semitism, where according to Statistics Canada, the Jews are the uh, religious minority that is the most targeted in terms of hate crimes year after year, uh, where online hate is rampant, um, that it was important to to know uh, and, and to combat uh, anti-Semitism because anti-Semitism can be murderous. So those two lessons, the universal and the particular to the Jewish people, uh, um, I, were um, are behind the thinking that led me to table introduce that bill back in 2003. So in 2003, um, you introduced a bill, I guess a private member's bill, uh, known as the Holocaust Memorial Day Act. Um, and um, it took a while, as it does with private member bills in uh, Canada, to work its way through, or was this different? Actually, it did not take a while officially. That is that um, I did the homework before. I, I found sponsored in – there were five political parties then at the time in, in Parliament. So I found uh, sponsors in each of the party, uh, and each of us worked with our own leadership to make sure that uh, the bill could be passed in one sitting. So that is that Parliament has the power, the House of Commons has the power to – I, I guess, uh, make an exception to pass uh, first, second, and third reading in one sitting. Um, that's what we did. So in one day, uh, in the presence of survivors in the gallery, in the presence of, of uh, some uh, dignitaries from different uh, embassies as well, including Israel and Germany, if memory serves, uh, we adopted this uh, this bill in the House of Commons 
in a matter of minutes uh, with one speech from each political party. And then Senator uh, Jared Grafstein, uh was sitting in the Senate uh, at the time, uh, managed uh, the, um, the process in, in the Senate side. And though not as quick as the, uh, the process in the House of Commons, it was quickly adopted so that in, in a very short amount of time, uh, the bill was tabled, uh, passed first, second and third reading in the House of Commons, uh, first, second, and third reading in the in the Senate, and was sent to the Governor General for a uh, royal sanction, and then um, it became law. And then in April two thousand and four, for the first time, uh, Yamashoa was officially uh, marked uh, on uh, on the grass in front of Parliament Hill, in front of Parliament. So, for American listeners or listeners uh, outside of North America. Um, the process that Richard has described is very unusual. Firstly, um, a private member's bill rarely makes it um, to the full parliament for conversation and rarely is adopted. Um, it does need the assent of the governing uh, party in the Canadian government, let alone having um, avoided um, the process of three separate readings. For those who are interested, you can look up the parliamentary procedures at the House of Commons and Senate of Canada, and we won't take our guests' time to give you a civics lesson on Canadian government. Um, but I do have a question that I think some of our listeners will ask, and that is, um, subsequent to um, the Shoah, to the Holocaust, and perhaps even before, there are numerous examples of genocide. Um, and different communities observe their um, communities' remembrance. But not every community has a uh, act to um, institutionalize memory. Um, do you have a thought about whether um, there should be um, independent and individual acts to commemorate different communities, um, uh, national days of mourning? Well, some of the other communities uh, that, that you mentioned, and it's an important point that you're making, Rabbi, um, have, uh, have their genocide officially recognized by Canada, sometimes by a resolution in the, or motion in the House of Commons, sometimes by the government of Canada uh, taking a, a stand. So we can think, for example, of the Armenian, um, uh, who were, uh, who, who uh, lived through a genocide by, from the Ottoman, uh, empire, uh, in 1915. And in fact, <clears throat> Hitler at some point said, uh, who remembers, who remembers the Armenians now? So the, the fact that the world was silent, basically when the Ottomans, uh, were killing off the Armenian, uh, community in, in Armenia serve as a lesson to Hitler. So we can do basically whatever we want. Um, the Ukrainians suffered in the hands of the uh, Soviet Union during the Orodomor uh, in the uh, late 20s, early 30s. Um, we can think about the Tutsis in Rwanda. We can think about the Rohingyas. So there's a number of, of communities that, that have had their their genocide re officially recognized by Canada. And in fact, uh, we're just speaking now, we're in, at the beginning of April. April is officially recognized by Canada through an act, through a bill as well, as a Holocaust, uh, sorry, as a genocide awareness, prevention and remembrance month. 
and and the Jewish community works with the uh, with the Rwandan community, with the Armenian community, with the Ukrainian community, with the Roma community, with the Uyghur community now, uh, and the Yazidi community, uh, and we get together to um, to commemorate and to uh, use that moment to educate people about uh, about the lessons of the uh, of those of those genocides. So it's important to know that it's not a Olympic uh, Olympics of of genocide and comparing genocides. In fact, we work very, very closely with those groups. And in uh, on uh, on uh, April twenty fourth, I believe Monday, uh, April twenty fourth, I'll be speaking to to a uh, to the ceremony uh, at the ceremony. Sorry for the Armenian commemorating the Armenian genocide. So those groups who have in the past been the targets of genocide actually work together because we know better than anyone uh, what it means to be the target of people who want to. Uh, erase off from the face of the earth. Um, so that's an important uh, piece of information for our listeners um, that um, the Shoah is not the only uh, genocide that is acknowledged by the Canadian government and that those groups who have experienced uh, genocidal tendencies um, and actions by those who hate them for any number of um, less than obvious reasons and sometimes irrational reasons have joined together to remind the world um, about the horrors of genocide and hopefully to discern lessons. Um, given the political climate throughout the world today, that must be a, a, a challenge to try and continue to teach people about um, the horrific lessons of dehumanization of others. It continues in so many different countries today. Yes, it's a challenge. That's what makes it even more important. Um, and, and we're fighting forces that are uh, quite organized, including, for example, online, where vast majority of people, especially our young people, are are taking their their lessons or learning um, or supposedly learning stuff. And what they can see online is there's a lot of neg- uh, people trying to negate what happened uh, or trying to uh, trivialize the uh, this. Um, and and it's actually quite be it can be quite hor- horrific. So it's important for society in general, led by public authorities, but not only. I think civic groups, uh, uh, synagogues, mosques, churches, uh, community groups, or whatever, uh, make sure that you know together uh, we we push back against the hate that that includes sometimes trying to negate the very the very things that 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 happened and that uh, led to people being killed and persecuted and tortured and burned simply because of who they were. Um, You mentioned online, which, um, as we know from any number of studies, is one of the primary ways that hate is disseminated. Um, Would you, as a uh, representative of CJA, but also as a human rights activist, um, be um, interested in the Canadian government or gen- governments in general having stronger rules about the kind of hate um, messages that are available online? Absolutely, and that's actually one of our priorities. It's a commitment by, that the current Liberal government made in, in uh, 2019 during the election, and then it repeated or recommitted to it in 2021. Uh, we are in regular touch with them. We are 
hoping that before uh, the House rises for the summer break that the bill will be introduced to combat online hate. Uh, because what happens online does not stay online. Um, and in fact, to, to speak maybe a bit more parochially here, um, a couple of years ago, uh, we at CJA got a, delu- a deluge of um, a phone calls from parents calling us and help us help our children, you know, combat or, or go through or survive what they what they're seeing online, which was horrific. So there's a need for a strong government intervention in this, while protecting, of course, freedom of expression, which is also a, a fundamental right uh, in Canada. Um, so it's 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 finding the right balance that can be challenging, but I think with goodwill we can do this. Uh, and that is why we are a member of, a, of the Coalition to Combat Online Hate, together with people from the Muslim community, the Sikh community, uh, the Ukrainian, the Armenian community, uh, LGBTQ2 plus groups, uh, as well as women's groups, because they all are targets of, of online hate. And online hate has a real life impact. Yes, um, that last clause, online hate has a real impact. We've seen in so many different ways, um, in, um, the result of violence and the result of attempts at violence. Um, so we have this Yom HaShoah, uh, in Israel, the, festival, the observance begins, and now it's part of the Jewish calendar, usually on the 27th of Nisan, um, sometimes about uh, 10 or 12 days after the holiday of Passover. This year, it'll be April 17th, I believe. Um, But in addition, there is what's known as the International uh, Day of Remembrance, uh, International Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is different. It's observed in January. Um, and perhaps you can help our listeners understand the origins of this day of observance and how it differs. So that day is primarily a, a non-Jewish day, and it's it's made to be timed. Remember, the Yom HaShoah is made, was created to be timed with the rise of the Warsaw Ghetto. Uh, January 27th uh, is made to coincide with the liberation of Auschwitz-Birkenau by the Red Army. Uh, and that is when the international community decided to mark the uh, the day, the international day of remembrance of the of the Holocaust. Um, so the the I guess the genesis of the two days uh, is different. Uh, one being more I guess Jewish um, driven, the other more internationally. The, actually, I, I don't think we should see those two days as being in competition. I think they complement each other. Um, and the other thing is, if we really are serious about wanting to combat hate and anti-Semitism, um, having different, I guess, touch points throughout the year is not a bad thing. We have here in, in, in Ottawa, and I know, Rabbi, you were, uh, you were very involved in this, uh, November as, uh, Holocaust Education Month, where there are different activities and schools and people visiting schools, especially, but not only schools to talk about the, uh, the, the, the lessons of the Holocaust. Um, so, it, you know, that, when facing this kind of hate that we're seeing, having more than one day to uh, 
to dwell on what it means to hate and the consequences of hate, and in, in this case for the Jewish people, uh, is not a bad thing because hate is daily. And we shouldn't say, well, three days a year, we're going to, or two days a year, we're going to make sure that we're going to talk about fighting this kind of hate. That, that, that's not how the world, the world works. Um, the International Holocaust Remembrance Day, as you said, is January. Uh, um, in January, I guess it was determined by the United Nations. That's correct. To choose this date. Um, because it commemorates when the Auschwitz-Birkenau concentration camp was liberated by the Red Army in 1945. Um, and to your knowledge, do many countries uh, mark International Holocaust Remembrance Day, or is it mostly kind of a Western uh, experience, the Allies in a sense? Well, it's the Allies, but not limited to the West, uh, the Soviet Union, then Russia, um, market as well. Russia is, uh, the Soviet Union was an important player in the defeat of the Nazis. In fact, it bore the brunt of the Nazi assault. Not that the other countries did not, but it, it really, or it really where it was really where the, the, the main battles happened. Again, not to, not to diminish, of course, the battles that happened in the Western world. No, I mean, uh, I think we can be honest and say that the attempt to uh, conquer um, the Soviet Union had an impact um, on the Soviet Union and the Battle of Leningrad and Stalingrad and those um, year-long Eastern Front That's um, had a significant impact um, by virtue of the number of days and months and years that the battle went on as opposed to um, France and Poland and other places where the battles themselves were relatively brief. The occupation was longer, and we won't want to in any way uh, minimize the impact of the occupation, but certainly the war itself um, was of much more um, intense in the Soviet Union as um, Germany, the Nazi regime, wanted to conquer and destroy um, the Soviet Union. Right. So flowing, flowing from that, the, the role that the Soviet Union played in the liberation of, of concentration and extermination camps uh, is important. And, and so the Soviet Union and Russia also marks those, uh, those days, as well as, as Poland. And Poland has made a lot of effort to, for example, keep uh, the Auschwitz camp. Uh, I know it sounds weird, but to make sure that it was accessible, that people could go and, and, and see for themselves how, I guess, uh, organized uh, and how thought through the Nazi um, regime uh, desire and, and action and program to kill the Jews was, uh, it was really, really, really thought through. Uh, and you can see just by going to Auschwitz-Birkenau how how industrial the killing the killing was, and we're not even only talking. We're only here talking about Auschwitz-Birkenau, but you know the. We we tend to forget. And let me let me make that a little uh, little detour here. We. We, we seem to forget sometimes that the Holocaust, to happen the way it did and to have six million plus people killed, needed somebody who would build the camps, 
who would build a train, who would have a train schedule to make sure that, that the train could go to the camps, who could organize that there was some food a little bit to go there because some people were, were slaves in, in the camps. Uh, so there was a, a whole country that basically, and a very civilized and organized and smart and advanced country that, that puts its, its tremendous energy to, um, to eradicate the whole people. Um, so it was not like a couple of guys one day, one morning decided to do it. It was completely organized. And that's, I think, the scary part. So that human and, uh, humans, like men and, and women, uh, who, uh, were educated, who would, uh, get up in the morning, kiss, uh, kiss their kids, uh, good morning, make them breakfast and then leave to, to organize, go to the office. Not all of them were holding guns and, and putting gas in the, in the extermination chambers, but would go to the office and say, how can I kill more Jews in a more efficient manner today? It is, it is truly one of the, um, less known parts of the Shoah, the um, industrialization of death. Yeah. In the same way that we um, honor um, the industrial revolution that makes it possible for us to drive cars and have appliances in our home, which had um, a long history. Um, The Nazis in a very short period of time were able to organize and implement a um, a real process of death, which impacted six million Jews as well as millions of others from other countries and um, other perspectives, not just religious perspectives, but physical handicaps and emotional handicaps and other marginalized people. Um, my guest this morning has been uh, Richard Marceau, and he has helped us understand. Um, the importance of International Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is um, a day devoted to the victims of the Holocaust. Notice in this case, it's not called the Shoah um, because it's an international day recognized and initiated by the United Nations. And in uh, support of that day, is Yom HaShoah, or um, as it's known in Hebrew, Yom HaZikaron L'Shoah V'Lagavura, the Day of Remembrance of the Shoah and of um, Bravery. And both of these together are have been reminded to all of us that um, we are all um, possible potential victims. Um, perhaps that's the greatest le- lesson that victimization is something that was not simply um, the result of um, birth for Jews, but it was the result of, for those who were members of the um, lesbian and gay community, uh, as it was associated, those who were mentally and physically challenged, as well as the Roma, um, as well as uh, Poles, um, and Hungarians, um, and French, and political uh, opposition. Um, in the few seconds that is left to us, I'm wondering if you'd like to help our listeners understand what the role of CJA is in the Canadian political landscape. 
So CIJA is the advocacy agent of the Jewish Federations of Canada. Um, so our, we are a not-for-profit corporation. Our owners are the federations. Uh, and we uh, try as best as we can to represent the views of the federations to, uh, to the political sector uh, at all levels, municipal, uh, provincial, federal, and now even at the school board district. Um, we interact with other faith and ethnic communities. Uh, we mentioned in this podcast, Rabbi, the work that we did with other groups that, that were the targets of genocide. Um, we also work with LGBTQ2 plus community. So we're, we, we try to, uh, to do this in a way that would bring in as many voices as we can and, and as broad a spectrum as we can. So we have people from the left and we have people from the center we have people from the right and we try to give a voice to all those people with with a uh, with a philosophy based on the principle of jewish unity but not uniformity my guest this morning is bien richard marceau of cija i want to thank him for his eloquence and for helping us understand these two important days uh, you can listen to our podcast on chri uh, 99.1 or as a podcast on chri.ca or wherever you download your podcasts from. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you shalom and have a good day. <laughs>